welcome back to Lead Travel Pray. This is episode 18, and today we're going to talk about uncovering bias. Our Lead Travel Pray team is with us here, uh, starting with Sandy Schneider, Michelle Strike, and this is Rebecca Ellis, and I'm going to be our moderator for the day. So bias, what is bias? You might remember a term unconscious bias that we used for many years to describe the associations we hold that we're not even aware of or conscious of, yet they can have a significant influence on our attitudes and our behaviors. Regardless of how fair-minded we think we might be, all humans have some degree of unconscious bias. This means we automatically respond to others, including people different from us, different races, different ethnic groups, in a positive or negative way, automatically. These associations are difficult to override, regardless of whether or not we recognize them to be wrong, because they are so deeply ingrained in our thinking and our emotions. So you will hear us today talk about implicit bias, and that's the term we're going to use instead of unconscious bias. Why? Well, it's because what most academic studies are now referring to in this area. It's broader, and um, the two can be used interchangeably, but they do have a slightly different meaning. So I just wanted to quickly address that um, and add these definitions to our show notes as well, so you can look those up. There's a group called the Equality Challenge Unit, or ECU, and they say that unconscious bias refers to bias that we are unaware of and which happens outside of our control. It is a bias that happens automatically and is triggered by our brain, making quick judgments and assessments of people, situations, and it's influenced by our background, culture, environment, and personal experiences. Conversely, implicit bias refers to the same area but questions the level to which these biases are unconscious, especially as we are being made aware of them. Once we know that we have this bias, we are responsible for doing something about that. We all need to recognize and acknowledge our biases and find ways to mitigate their impact on our behavior and our decisions. So this is our topic for the day. How to recognize these biases you might have, and we're gonna share some ideas on how to mitigate them. So, Sandy and Michelle, when you hear implicit bias, what kinds of situations come to mind? And where in those situations have you witnessed a negative or positive impact with this bias? Yeah, so I see it happening in my work life and my personal life all the time. Uh, especially as I become more and more aware of what implicit bias is. So we'll start with work. That's mm -hmm. kind of easier to talk about. Um, so for example, initial impressions that I have as I'm interviewing somebody, we all make a snap judgment within the first 30 seconds to 90 seconds about a person. And um, that's a pretty formulated idea that we have about them. And it's based upon so many biases. Um, when I'm coaching, I quickly make um, judgments about somebody that I'm meeting for the first time or how somebody is doing on a given day. When I'm delivering training, I quickly scan the audience to see who's there and I'm very quickly sizing them up based upon all kinds of demographic information, 
things seen, things unseen. Like if they have a tattoo that's showing, I may make a certain assumption about them. Or if they have a piercing, I may make an assumption. It's all these things that I'm quickly assimilating. Facial hair, not facial hair if it's a man. For a woman, how uh, well-groomed she is, what she's wearing, right? These are all looking at shoes. All these things help us make very quick snap decisions about somebody. And I find that I really have to check my biases that I'm having and testing them because I can quickly draw a conclusion, especially if I have assessment data on the person. Like if I'm coaching somebody and I have their assessment data, I can kind of have decided who they are before I ever even meet them. Mm-hmm. And I have to check myself and say, hang on, you don't really know that about them. Let's just see what happens. Allow it to play out. And um, I find myself drawing the conclusions and walking myself backward, drawing conclusions, walking myself backwards. And in my personal life, it's if I'm going to a new place, that could be a new restaurant, a new grocery store, a new country that I'm visiting. Like my biases are all over the place, as well as meeting people for the first time. Again, we're sizing each other up very quickly and deciding, is this person similar to me or not similar to me and i'm basing that on all kinds of things that i notice how they're dressed um what did they drive if i notice that right so all these things that come down to socioeconomic status and um, other demographic information so it i find that it happens all the time and i've actually been surprised by some of my biases some that come from growing up in suburbia that um, I have biases that are different because of that compared to um, people who grew up living more in an urban area where they're used to seeing maybe people that are quite different from them all the time. Mm-hmm. Sandy, what about you? Michelle, I love the way that you can talk about this topic with such, oh, at least apparent ease as you speak very clearly <laughs> about the self-awareness that you have around biases. Um, And the reality is that we all have them. However, I'm not sure that everyone has gotten to a place where there is the awareness around it is. You have them. We all have them. Um, And one of the things that, that happened last year in the United States that was such an unfortunate situation, yet I think brought out such an opportunity for Americans was um, the e- example of bias that occurred at the Starbucks store last year in Philadelphia when there were two young black men who were in the store. They hadn't ordered anything. Um, one wanted to use the restroom, and, and now Starbucks management got involved. And before you know it, the police get called, and they get escorted off the property. And in fact, they hadn't done anything wrong and so it begged the question had the white management team or management member made a decision to call the police based on some bias um, that may exist and as unfortunate of a situation as as that is where I'm sure right it's a really bad day when you get arrested particularly when you've done Mm -hmm. nothing wrong Mm -hmm. um, and you've been believe you have been targeted based on some demographic. 
Uh, but what came out of that, I think, is is really amazing. It, it prompted not only Starbucks to take action, but it put in front of the American people through the media an opportunity to really talk about this topic. So Starbucks, kudos to them for taking this incident really seriously and closing more than 8,000 of their stores last year on mm-hmm. May 29th to put all of their employees through this kind of training to help them to say look we've all got these biases but we can't be acting in a certain way based on those biases so how do we keep those in check and I feel like they really opened the door for open communication about this is real and we've all got them and acting on them in some ways can be dangerous dangerous for Mm -hmm. the company, dangerous for people, um, and, and lead to bad decisions. So, um, I, I choose to believe that that really unfortunate, terrible situation had an opportunity to educate, uh, thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands or more people in the United States bringing this, this topic of, uh, implicit bias to the forefront. Yeah, I think that's a great example of a company who understood enough about the dynamic to create a culture shift around, you know, make awareness and making different decisions and and policies and judgments. Um, You know, when I think about when I probably first really began to understand some of the implications of this, it was around that study on resumes and the name at the top of the resume. Mm-hmm. And how just when they change that name out, um, you know, different, um, you know, resumes in this research study made it further in the process for screening just because people were seeing the name and making a judgment based on that. Mm-hmm. And that's not even more of a physical one. But I think, as Michelle mentioned, like a lot of the biases that I recognize in myself are more visual in nature um, and, you know, perhaps I do have a bias against screening things like resumes um, that, that I'm not as aware of, but because um, I do often look at the graduation year, just like on LinkedIn. Well, did they put their graduation year? And then that's all that's telling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes because I'm looking for are they older and experienced? And sometimes it's because I'm like, do they have young and fresh ideas? I don't think I would make a decision around that, but I'm aware that that's a data point that I'm taking in. And so clearly mm-hmm. there's a reason behind that, right? Um, but I will tell you a, a bias that I have that is positive and negative against my own end group. And um, I've recently reflected that with my own um, daughter who struggled with math this year. And I'm a former math teacher. So that just in and of itself had me, you know, in a pickle. Um, but I sort of justified, well, she's not going to be a standout math student in her school because of the heavy Asian population. There will always be kids who are setting the curve and doing better than her because she's not Asian, right? And so this thought crossed my mind more than once this year. And so I do think that's kind of interesting because the bias in this case for me is more negative against my own end group, which is pretty mm-hmm. odd, right? Um, and that's a stereotype that you know we know exists. Um, and I will tell you, um, 
there's a lot of reasons why that probably is valid, right? They are high performing. They do take more um, attention to academics and sometimes than, than um, non-Asians do. But nonetheless, like I shouldn't have been excusing behavior or setting unrealistic expectations kind of based on that. So um, are there other negative impacts you've seen? I know um, hiring decisions. Um, there's even a study around like physician treatment where they're um, less likely to give pain meds and, and um, you know, the types of prescriptions they would give to white people to African-American. Curious what other kind of things you've seen that just kind of caught your interest. Um, so this is not a published research study, but in my online dating experience, <laughs> I mean, you're making judgments on pieces of information, by the way, that may be truthful or, or not truthful. Um, right. And so all sorts of biases are entering in, and it, it may absolutely be something around a standard demographic, or it could be something else around, you know, did they go to college? What was the their major when they were in college? What kind of job do they have today? I mean, there's all sorts of biases that creep in. And, you know, to think about <laughs> the bad dates that I've been on utilizing whatever criteria I'm utilizing like <laughs> how many really good people have I passed up because I was utilizing you know a, a, a bias or a poor criteria mm -hmm. did you find most of the time those were um, people you were looking for people you mentioned education who had a de degree similar had reached the level of education that you had, for example. Um, I know a lot of the research says that we can hold biases against our own in-group, as they say, or people with those demographics like us. More often than not, though, we're looking for people like us and we hold our biases against people who look or, or who are different, who are not like us. Would you say that's been your experience? And, and in work and play, how do you try and break some of that, not looking so like for like? Yeah, that's a good point. As I think about that time period, I don't know that I was looking, I mean, my level of education is a master's degree. I don't know that I was necessarily looking for someone else who had a master's degree, uh, but I was looking for someone who had a degree mm -hmm. um, as, as an indicator of maybe a value around education. Uh, which absolutely could be a, a mismatch, you know? So as mm -hmm. I think about the person that I'm currently in a relationship with, um, who that criteria would have ruled him out and I would have missed out, right, on this fantastic opportunity. Um, yeah, so uh, it, it's, it's just another example of how our biases are playing into decisions that we're making, whether we recognize it or not, and mm -hmm. absolutely can be leading us down the wrong path. Yeah, Sandy, I think that that's a good point. I've had to think about the same thing, like in dating with education, that I've really tried to, for the exact reason that you're talking about, hold myself accountable less to... Um, degrees or um, other characteristics and say, what is at the root of that? What is it that that really tells me about a person that I'm looking for as far as compatibility? And so for me, I'm looking for somebody who can stimulate me intellectually. And that does not come from 
a certain degree per se. It can, but it doesn't automatically. So then I'm looking more for that as a quality as opposed to this characteristic or um, demographic about a person. So that is how I've um, checked my biases at times is to say, okay, that's an automatic go-to. That's okay, but what's behind that? What is that really about? Absolutely, because it's the values piece that I think we really want to know, but that's so much harder to get a, a, um, an understanding of, right? You don't just mm-hmm. look at the person and know what their mm-hmm. values are. It takes more time and effort and digging to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's fast to look at a degree. It's fast mm-hmm. to look at how they're dressed. It's fast to look at where do they work right? Those are all things that are expedient. And that's why these biases exist is that we have to go about our day and not hyper analyze every single thing. Otherwise, literally, we'd get nothing done. (laughs) But there are situations that are really high stakes where it does matter. So Rebecca, you asked about um, different areas where I've seen this and think it's important going back to the workplace example, there is a study that was done back in 2016 that found that obese candidates were less likely than normal weight candidates to be hired for roles that were completely unrelated to physical activity. But just based upon that initial bias, all things remaining the same. And so for me, it's, it's, checking the bias when I'm hiring. It's checking the bias when I'm doing a performance review on somebody. It's checking the bias when I'm coaching somebody that I feel connected or disconnected to an individual pretty quickly. And we're all like that. That's not a Michelle thing. That's a human thing. But what I can do is hold myself accountable to what do I like about this person that feels similar to me? What is it that I'm picking up on? Sandy, to your point, is it the values? Is it something else? Can I get curious about that and find out what the similarity is? And I happen to enjoy interacting with people that are quite different than me, but it challenges some of these areas of like the in-group and it being easier in ways to interact because if they are similar to me I don't have to be quite as conscious about what am I saying what am I not saying all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. oh, I think that's a great point so we may be wondering how can we tell how biased we are um, there's actually a test for it and it's called the implicit association test or IAT and I think it was developed by Harvard um, but it, mm-hmm. it can commonly be used to measure this bias. And what it looks for is associations between characteristics like old or LGBTQ or African-American and whether or not we associate good or bad with those things. Um, and it asks us to do it really quickly. And so you aren't maybe able to consciously process so much of that in the way that the test is set up. So it gives you these words, puts them in categories, you click through, and then at the end it tells you what your biases are. Um, I'm curious if either of you have taken it, and if so, what kind of insights it gave you. Yes, I took it. Um, To be honest, I was not familiar with the assessment until we started talking about it in preparation for this podcast. Um, And was like, yeah, absolutely, I'll take the assessment. 
And, you know, you can logically go into something like this and say, of course, I have biases. I know that I have biases. We all have biases. I know that it's going to say I have bias in some form or fashion. And yet, while I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Right. Oh, no. What is it going to say? And then, of course, it comes out to say, yes, you have some bias in this area. Um and it, there was there was an emotion that came out, and it was disappointment. I think disappointment mm-hmm. in myself, like really, really, with everything that I value and everything that I know, I still have bias in these areas. And the the three that I did, um, by the way, if anybody goes out there to do them, there's a lot of options to take. And yeah, there's about twenty different yeah, kinds of tests. A lot of them. Um, I did three of them. One was race, and it was specifically black uh, and white. I did one on age that they just generally considered older and younger. Um, And then one on gender roles, which was the attachment of family sort of roles and responsibilities um, or career professional responsibilities and how they attach to males or females. Um, And what I thought was... Um, interesting, I guess, is that for two of them, my bias was against my own, what you mentioned, Rebecca, earlier, my own in-group. So um, I was biased against the older people, which I think I now fall into that category. (laughs) Um, And I was also biased against, in in the... um, the gender roles where I, uh, I was responding such that I expected females to be in the domestic family responsibilities and males in the corporate professional responsibilities. And I'm like, that's not me at all. That's not what I believe. And yet I have some level of ingrained belief about what is right or what is good or what should be, even though it may not fit sort of the demographic bucket that I currently sit in. Yes, I like it. And I appreciate you sharing your results because, um, Sandy, as you were talking, it was making me think about my own experience having taken this. Um, I delivered training on this topic and um, talked about the test. I went through and took a couple of them way back when, took one recently on um, gender and fields of occupation. So um, male, female, science versus art and seeing if I was biased toward men being science, females being art. And um, so as I went through and took it, the reality is, is that um, there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow that talks about these things. And basically the author breaks things down into system one and system two thinking. And system one thinking is fast, unconscious, automatic, effortless. We don't know it's happening. Whereas system two is slow, conscious, deliberate, and effortful. So your, your bias is there of women in the workplace or men in the workplace. However, your conscious and deliberate side says, yeah, but, but I'm going to override that bias because I really do think that there's value with women being in the workplace. It's a lot of it comes from what we were surrounded by culturally as our um, stereotypes and biases were being formed and we all had that i had the same reaction because of course it came back saying what you would expect that i was biased toward men toward science females toward art and 
I just wanted to go into excuse-making mode. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, totally. Similar stereotypes to what's been portrayed in the world around me, Mm -hmm. right? And um, it's quite common. Yet the reality is is that I still have that automatic um, go-to yet when I can move to system two thinking and notice this, I can get to the conscious, deliver, deliberate, and effortful, which is always where we're living our best self and we're showing up how we want to show up. We just can't do that all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So I think that the test was good at showing the automatic versus what can happen as you are like dealing with the emotional connection to it saying, wait, that's not me. Yeah. Well, it's it really isn't. Yeah, I appreciate you both being vulnerable and and sharing your experience. Um, In looking at the test site, which we'll put in show notes, I did find it really curious. At the very bottom, it says in bold, I am aware of the possibility of encountering interpretations of my AIT test performance with which I may not agree. Knowing this, I wish to proceed. And so you can't see the list of tests until you click this little Mm -hmm. disclaimer, basically. Mm -hmm. And it says, if you're unprepared to encounter interpretations that you might find objectionable, please do not proceed further. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm sure that they are saying that because enough people have tried to argue the case. No, 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 Mm -hmm. I'm not. Right. This is not me. This is not (laughs) biased. So anyway, I would encourage people to take it. It's it's a, you know, definitely um, one way to get some insights into what your unconscious uh, biases might be. Um, so moving on to the next thing, then um, Ohio State University has a website where they talk about, and I quote, our brains are incredibly complex and the implicit associations that we have formed can be gradually unlearned through a variety of debiasing techniques. So I was really encouraged to see that, um, that we can unlearn some of this unconscious behavior that's been shaped over life's experiences. Um, so I'm curious if you two have um, tried any of these popular debiasing techniques and what you would recommend to others. Michelle? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. So one of them that um, they talked about is using contact to change the level of threat evoked by an outgroup, in other words, exposure to that group. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I have tried to do. So I will, like in St. Louis, writing the metro system is um, not known for being uh, a pleasant experience all the time. Um, but it's a good way to get to and from the ball game. So every once in a while I will write it because it allows me to come into contact with people that I wouldn't ordinarily come into contact with because I'm typically in my car going places and um, the Metro only exists in the city here in St. Louis. And so I think that some of that exposure that, um, helps me see some of my stereotypes as people are coming on and off and challenging myself, hang on, what's that about? Did that person really do something or say something that caused that or was that an automatic reaction? It's almost like I take it like a social experiment for myself to kind of think about that. I do the same thing at the airport. Mm-hmm. Kind of looking and observing people, um, encouraging myself to take ownership of, okay, that was a really snap judgment that you just made. What was it based on? Was it based on what they were wearing or, or what have you? Um, I remember years ago I went through a training with an organization when I was responsible for their inclusion and diversity training 
and we were looking at different vendors and they put up pictures of different people and then asked us to say what we thought about them and what their occupation would be. And then they told us what their occupations were. And I remember just being shocked. I clearly had very ingrained um, attitudes and thoughts about people based upon how they looked and how they dressed. And that then translated into the type of jobs and how successful I thought that they would be in worldly ways. And so some of it is just recognizing that I had that auto response, stopping and checking it, encouraging other people to challenge me if I make a, and to actually share them out loud. Like these are things that we all want to keep inside, right? Who wants to talk about any of the stuff that we're talking about right now? But the, the fact is, is that if you share it, it allows somebody else to challenge and say, hang on, where did that come from? Absolutely. What about you, Sandy? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you, Michelle. That opportunity to be exposed to people who are different from you, that maybe you haven't had a whole lot of experience with in in your life up to this point. And for me, travel is a great way to have Mm -hmm. that experience, to meet people who grew up in a completely different country with a different culture, different religious beliefs, um, different language, they look different, all these differences, um, which I recently had a a great opportunity to experience on my first visit to Japan. Um, And you're just overwhelmed with everything that's so different, neither good nor bad, just Mm. different. Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. you see across the way, a young mother with her, you know, toddler, and you see the toddler uh, walking shakily up to her, and you can see how excited she is that he's took taken these steps and how excited and proud of himself he is he is and then you see them hug and you're like oh my gosh we're all the same right mm-hmm. um even though mm-hmm. outward perceptions would say very different you by having those experiences with people even though i never talked to those people what i observed was a mother baby relationship that would be loving in all the ways that i would expect in in my life and my culture which suddenly builds the bridge with someone that i thought was very different from me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i like that you know as um Uh, all of us have studied psychology to some degree. So as as a psychologist myself, I think it's one of the fortunate things that I've been able to study these things. I did research in grad school on the Mm -hmm. resume study, Rebecca, and have a publication around that. So, So I get it. In undergrad, I studied abroad. And one of the things that was our homework to do on the weekends, it was super cool, was um, take a topic like parenting and look at the culture that we were in and notice differences related to parenting styles that were um, that seemed to be more cultural because it seemed to be something that most everybody was doing and then journal about those things and talk about how that was similar or different to what I had experienced, some of the biases that we had, what we had then learned about that culture that was a little different, that I was profoundly grateful for that experience, not just to notice it, but to actually take more of an academic view mm-hmm. and looking at the psychology behind some of those um, cultural differences. And so I learned at what, however old I was, 22 or something, as a very young adult to appreciate and notice those differences and not just... Um, think, oh, yeah, that's how they do it in Europe. It's like, well, no, in Ireland, it was different than in Germany than in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very absolutely. cool. Awesome. Thank you, ladies, both. So last question, what are your favorite resources in this space? Books, podcasts, et cetera? 
If a person wanted to learn more, where would you send them? Okay, so I mentioned earlier the Thinking Fast and Slow book. Um, I confess it's a super big book and I haven't read through the whole thing, but I would recommend it because it's kind of around this topic to be um, more efficient and figure out where you do need to be um, more intentional with our thought processes. I'm also uh, more, I guess, in this space about taking action than reading about it. So a funny way that I do this is... Um, like somebody might recommend a book and it's totally outside of the type of author that I would seek out or the genre that I would seek out yet I challenge myself to still read that book if it was recommended by somebody who I I trust um, to get exposure to different cultures different attitudes different writing style everything can be different and um, both of you have actually um, made it to that list of books that i've read that i wouldn't have ordinarily read so again it's kind of challenging don't just go down the same old same old path Mm -hmm. do something different to expand um what i'm taking in and how i'm thinking yeah yeah i think that's a good point because um you have challenged uh, sandy and i to read quiet right now the susan cain book uh, because it's not our probably bias, right, to um, think about things as an introvert, given that we're not. Um, so if you know what really? you're... Really? You're not? I know, it's <laughs> And I'm struggling with the book. It is not maybe my favorite, but um, it is challenging some of my perceptions. And um, as a person learns more about what their biases are, um, reading things very, gen- you know, very closely connected to that, very... Um, targeted, I think are a good way to, to change your thinking as well. Sandy, how about you? Uh, yeah, I totally agree with both of you. Um, I, I think the, the recommendation I would make, um, I mentioned the Starbucks scenario early in the podcast. I had the opportunity to talk with um, one of the Starbucks leaders who was involved in sort of the aftermath, the sit down where the, the company leaders had to go, what now? What do we do? How do we fix this? How do we ensure this never happens again? And they activated unbelievable amount of resources to develop training for all of their associates in about a month's time. And they had to deliver that training to over 8,000 stores where they brought in every employee to go through the training. Um, what's super cool, okay, it's cool to begin with that they activated this level, these these resources to get this done. Um, But what I think is even cooler is that they are making their training materials public. So the name of the program is The Third Place, and that's an internal Starbucks phrase that means something to Starbucks employees. And in the materials, you get information about what that means. But it, you can, it's on the Starbucks website. You can Google Starbucks, the third place resources. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, and you can have access to the content that they pushed out to all the iPads across all of the Starbucks stores. Um, includes videos with celebrities in them. Um, it includes Howard Schultz's message. Um, and what I think is just super cool is that Starbucks said, this sucks and we hate that this happened in our stores and with our brand, but we believe that this isn't a Starbucks issue. This is an issue that we have in the United States, and we're going to address it in our own house 
at Starbucks. Um, but we're going to put all these training materials out there for the rest of you all, because this isn't just our issue. We all have this. So um, check them out. They're super cool. Yeah, I like that. In fact, um, at our consulting firm, we've had a huge uptick in requests for this training across a variety of organizations. Many of them are not experiencing issues that they know of specifically related to this. They've just found that they want to proactively get in front of it and teach people that they all have bias and then what to do with it as they are doing succession planning and talent reviews and performance management, it just creeps into everything. Mm -hmm. And um, so as somebody who has had to deliver the training, boy, I had to figure out my own biases and to stand in front of a bunch of people that you don't know to try to connect with them and share your own biases. It's very humbling (laughs) to talk about them. And um, part of it is just recognizing that, yes, I'm here teaching you about it, but I have it myself. I'm a psychologist and I have it myself. We can't override these things. And so I would just say as a resources, you know, going to your HR department and seeing if they are willing to offer the training, look at the Starbucks item. If your company isn't willing to do it, you can do it. Mm -hmm. You have these resources out there. It's good to educate yourself on it because it's impacting your personal and work life, you may or may not know it. Absolutely. Very good. Well, thank you both so much. This wraps up our discussion on bias. Uh, Hopefully your eyes were open to some things that could be helpful to you in uncovering and mitigating your biases. Uh, The Lead Travel Prey team knows we are definitely not perfect and continue to work on this ourselves. So if you have suggestions or recommendations to share on the topic with this team and with our listeners, Uh, please comment so that we can all benefit from this knowledge. Check out leadtravelpray.com to find more information on what we've been up to and our Twitter feed at leadtravelpray to read more and hear about each of our core topics, which are leadership, global travel, and faith. Thanks for listening today. We appreciate all of you.